0: Hey, you, letter lover. Want to discover the holy grail of lettering? Take a vow of loyalty to beautiful letter forms and set yourself up for success? Then join my free training, The Ten Commandments of Lettering. It's totally for free for a limited time. Head to martinaflor.com slash commandments of lettering. See you there. Uno, dos,
1: Uno, dos tres. let
0: Welcome, everybody, to Letter Now, a podcast where we nurture the creatives, illustrators, designers, and makers of tomorrow today. My name is Martina Flora. I'm a lettering artist, author, educator, and the host of this show. And today, we'll be talking about the business of illustration. We'll answer questions like, can an illustrator make good money? Does privilege play a role in the success of an artist? What makes a good illustrator? We'll cover this and more with today's guests John Coakley. John is the co-founder of Handsome Frank, an illustration agency representing some of the finest contemporary artists on the planet, working with more than 40 creatives across five continents. They serve clients in advertising, design, and publishing. John is also a founding member of Agents for Change, an assembly of illustration-based agencies in the UK, working together with the shared goal of increasing diversity across the creative industry. I would like to touch on that, um, John, today um, and find more about this. Um, You can find Hanson's Frank new portfolio of illustrator they have a new website now and you can find it on handsomefrank.com and you can follow them on instagram and twitter at handsomefrank under sorry handsome underscore frank they also have a podcast where they interview their uh, illustrators called handsome frank i guess it, is it called yeah. okay
2: great handsome right. frank podcast original name
0: amazing so uh, I will add this to our show notes so that they can that the listeners can find you. Hi, John. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Good
2: morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, good. Thank
0: you. Um, John, this is a special episode because we are wrapping up our first season of the podcast and we have had over 25 illustrators and lettering artists on the show. And we normally get to discuss about, you know, how it is to live as an illustrator or, or as a creative. You know, the struggles, the challenges, the wins. Um, and I feel that the the listeners get a overall idea of what it is to be an illustrator and make a living with this. But I wanted to invite you because you, as an agent, you are a bridge between artists and clients, and you can probably provide a fresh look over the business of illustration. Of illustration. So. I wanted to start by touching on the fact that there used to be a disconnect between these two words, business and illustration, right? And there was, I feel that there was the understanding that art or illustration are a hobby and therefore you cannot make a living from it or make business with it. And I want to ask, I want to start by asking you, do you think that this is still the way that the world looks at the industry of illustration and how, this has changed throughout the last years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly changed. Um, so to give you a little bit of background, we, we started, we founded our agency in 2010. So we're 11 years old now.
1: Hmm.
2: And uh, I mean, certainly at the time there, there had been and there have been illustration agents in the UK since hmm. I mean, dating back to the sixties and seventies. Um, you know, some really well-established agencies but there was certainly less of them, um, and I think maybe at that point there was a, a, almost a sense that there were people who had an agent and they were the professionals, and then there was just everybody else. Mm-hmm. And from the outside, you know, perhaps pers- illustration was perceived as something more of a of a hobby or a pastime, um, which is really unfair, and it's quite it's quite hard to really work out why people have that perception and i think ultimately it comes down to anything that you do for a living that is perceived as fun or Mm. enjoyable um naturally people presume that it can't be a a job Um, and i think that goes way, way beyond just illustration i think that applies to other areas um as well but yeah this sense that because um because you're a creative person and you enjoy creativity and you're pursuing something you enjoy that there's a some kind of disconnect there. Um, but I think that's really changed. I think um, over the over the 10 years that we've been going, we've seen a huge increase in, well, I think there's been a huge increase in, in artists. I think mm. there's been, a, a undoubtedly here in the UK and I think elsewhere, there's been um, a lot of new agencies to start up, um, mm. especially in the past three or four years, we've seen a lot here in the UK open up. Um, and I think it's got to the point now where actually there are a lot more artists out there who have representation mm. so a lot of illustrators now seem to have an agent um you know whenever I it's it's, it's quite rare these days that I, I find a new artist um and, and look and I haven't got representation mm. um, so I think that has helped to kind of professionalize our industry and I think the um yeah the, the sort of Increase in the amount of people with an agent, and the increase of agents has helped to kind of reclassify illustration a little bit, and and allow people to take it more seriously as a as an as an industry.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Also, to hear that there's more agents out there because there's, a, I feel that there's the perception that there's a lot more illustrators or artists or creatives are there, and there's a lack of agents that can represent them. Um, so it's it's good to hear that there is actually um, more agents out there that are willing to represent this new batch of artists that are new to the industry. Right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there seems to be a real new way. I think it's really exciting. One, one of the things that we're going to talk about later is um, Agents for Change. But
1: mm.
2: one of the great things about that is I've got to meet and talk to and, um, you know, learn from lots of young up and coming agencies that have set up in the past two or three or, or four years. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of them, especially here in the UK, I would say. And, um, you know, we're, we're kind of where we're at now. We're not, I think when we started out, we were kind of, um, there was the established agencies here, and then we came along and, and perhaps did things a bit different and, and, and mixed it up a bit. And we were kind of, I guess the new, the new kids on the block. Um, but we're you know we're now, we're now eleven years old, so we're yeah. not we're not like the the young startup anymore. Mm. Um, I think we're kind of we've moved into that sort of more established role um but yeah, it's great to see new agents coming through and and I, I really like it. I think it, it keeps us on our toes. It's really interesting to see it's really interesting to see different approaches um people coming at it from a slightly different angle and uh yeah i'm I'm, I'm kind of all for it.
0: I want to. I'm making a note on agents for change because I want to go back to that later on on the show. But um, I think what you just said is a perfect segue to understand a little bit of why why you started doing this. Like, why did you decided to go out represent other artists out there?
2: I mean, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, to, to give you a, a, a brief background, I mean, I've I've never been an illustrator. I've never studied art. I'm a. I mean, I never went to art school. I'm a bit of a. a a fraud, really. <laughs> um, so my my background was, although I had, I've always had a real interest in creativity and um, enjoyed art and enjoyed photography. Um, but I found myself in my twenties working in publishing, mm. and um, I, I was I was I was in sales, you know, and I wasn't um, particularly good at sales, but um, it taught me some useful things. And I was working at a, a London-based publishing house. Uh, for quite a dull kind of marketing title. It's no longer around. And there was this really over the other side of the office there was this really interesting, cool magazine. And I d I didn't really understand what it even was or, or what it was about, but it um that was Creative Review, which mm-hmm. is a, a title here in, in the UK that is 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 still going and sort of very well respected. And it's basically a magazine about advertising, design, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um so I quickly realized I, want, I wanted to work with those guys. <laughs> so uh, managed, you know, within six months, managed to sort of engineer a way to, to get across the floor and work on that side of, of, of mm. things. And I spent 10 years there and I learned uh, an awful lot about, well, about commercial side of, of business and, and sales and, and how to run a business. But I also learned an awful lot about creativity, advertising, the design industry. Mm. Uh, so when I left there, I was I was commercial director of, of Creative Review and their co- conferences and everything that they did. And um, one of the last projects I worked on in the last year or so was was a thing called the Illustration Annual, mm-hmm. um, where we we kind of ran this special edition of the magazine that was all about promoting illustrators. Um, and the idea was that illustrators would um, would, would pay to be in this it enter into this competition, and then the best work would be published. Um, and what that led me to do was literally pick up the phone every day and call forty or fifty illustrators mm. and talk to them. Uh, and the first thing they said to me was, "Why are we going to be? <laughs> why do we want to do that? Uh, and, and we haven't got any money. And you, you know, you're really trying to trying to make money here out of the wrong group. Mm. Uh, but also, I got into loads of conversations with them about about their, their business, their industry, what they needed, mm. um, what they were, were, were looking for. And that essentially was the catalyst for me. And I, I, I met through that process, I met lots of illustrators, and the common theme for me seemed to be that there were lots of brilliant artists out there that either weren't great at the business side or, or, or didn't want to be, you know, didn't mm. want to invest their time and energy into that side of their business. And that made me think, well, actually, maybe there's there's room for us um, to set up an agency. Hmm. Um, at the time, also, I have to, you know, confess um, some of my biggest clients were other London um, illustration agencies, you know, sort of well-established ones. So I had an idea of how their model works, and I, I, I spoke to them, and I kind of, you know, I, I just had conversations with people and, and tried to work it out. You know, there was no... Hmm there was no resource. There was nowhere to go online. You know, there's no qualification. You can't go to school and study how to be an illustration agent. There's no book. Um, so I started to piece it together. And at that point, um, I approached Tom, who's my cousin and, uh, he was working in advertising and he's a web, he was a web developer at the time.
1: Mm.
2: And I said, look, Tom, I've got this idea, but I, you know, I need a website. Um, you know, you're my cousin. (laughs) 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 Um, so we had that conversation and uh, we sat down and, and started talking. And the more we talked, the more we realized that actually, if we come together on this, mm. we've got a much better chance. You know, my background was publishing, um, design and sales. But Tom's background was was advertising and yeah. he was a creative. So we kind of felt that between us, um, we had a much better chance of making it. So, yeah, that was the start really. And, um, and we set up the agency and we, we kind of we, we came to it with a slightly different approach to some other agencies, I think. We, hmm. um, right from the start, we, we, we realized that we didn't want to be make ourselves exclusive. We felt that was a slightly outdated and unfair system of working. And what I mean there is, is our artists are exclusive to us, like we're hmm. their only agent, but we allow them to work with people outside of what we do. Um, and I think at the time we were one of the first agencies to do that. And Mm. I still don't know how many do that, to be honest. So our ethos has always been that your agent should find you more work. They shouldn't just take, take income that you're already going to get. Mm. So if a client comes to you off your own back, Martina, you know, you know this very well. If somebody comes direct to you and you want to handle that, then that's absolutely fine. But what we want to do is find you more work on top of that. Mm. Um, and I think that, that was, you know, that was kind of our USP at the start. You know, we we we'd never charged our artists anything. We didn't cost them anything and we didn't take anything from them. You know, the only income, the only um, commission we ever took was from the work that we found. Um, and I think what that allowed us to do in hindsight is as a startup, we were, were able to have conversations with people and sign artists of a really high standard hmm. because we were offering them something new. We are offering kind of a fair deal. Um, and we had nothing to show for it <laughs> at the time. You know, I'm very grateful to the people that kind of took a punt on us because at the time we didn't even have a website. Um, but people bought into that idea that we were trying to slightly change the model. Um, and that was that was really the start. Sorry, that wasn't a very short answer.
0: That's that's interesting because you sort of set some new standards for the industry and this is what actually allow you to have conversations with um, with high, high standard artists or high range artists, right? Yeah. So, and the a follow-up question here would be, okay, you decided, you decided to start this, um, illustration agency and how were the first step towards finding the first illustration, illustrators? Because I, I can imagine that someone listening right now or your insights could be useful for someone listening right now who is looking for an agent. And, you know, it's interesting to understand what are agents looking in an illustrator when they go out there, um, find them, right? So what were the first things you were yeah. noticing or the things were you were focusing on when you first started um, looking for illustrators?
2: I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of levels to this answer, really. I mean, the first thing to say, is obviously, 11 years ago, the the landscape was very different in terms mm. of where you found people, you know, where you went looking for people. Um, there was no Instagram. Um, mm. I think Twitter was just starting. Uh, Twitter Twitter was actually really um, key for us at the start, but I, I'm not sure how many artists we found through Twitter, but we certainly managed to build sort of a community through it quite quickly. Um... Creative Review was, you know, a huge resource. You know that that illustration annual, um, kind of those conversations that were sparked from that was, was a huge um, bonus. You know, there were at the time there were these directories that people would pay to be in. So these directories of illustration, you don't you don't really see as much anymore. But um, mm. you know, printed printed books. So you know, I'd go through that and and find people and you know just scour through the internet looking at websites finding people that weren't represented um i think the second thing to say is for us at the time we were looking for very different things than to what we look for now and i think it's also fair to say we made a lot of mistakes hmm. um in, in the nicest possible way we, can you can you uh, tell a
0: little bit about that like what
2: yeah, I, I mean not mistakes because we're talking about people here but that we we signed illustrators that ultimately, not it didn't work mm. um and I think the interesting thing about an Asian artist relationship is it's a very symbiotic relationship like mm. it, it either works for you both or it works for neither of you you, you know you, you yeah. rarely have a situation where one of you's happy and the other one isn't um and I think what me and Tom did initially was we signed people based on work that we loved mm. you know it was it was well we, we like it and we were maybe a bit arrogant with the presumption that what if we like it everyone else will um whereas now i think we're a little bit more um not not detached it's still us our aesthetic taste is in there Mm -hmm. but it's more of a pragmatic business focused Mm -hmm. um decision making process so you know we're not just thinking do i like this would i hang it on my wall um and Actually, coincidentally, a lot of those people that we signed and it didn't work out with, I still have the prints on my wall and I still talk to them occasionally and, um, you know, it, it's all fine. But now we're kind of drilling down a bit further and saying, well, you know, do we like this person? Yes. Um, secondly, who's behind the work? We, we want to meet them. We want to talk to them. We want to find out about them. We want to find out kind of where they're at and what their ambitions are and um, what their approach is um and then beyond that we're saying well where where commercially is this work going to live you know Mm. it's it's well and good having a a beautiful portfolio of work on your your website but if if this if you're not talking to you know if you're offering something to your clients your clients can't use or or don't want then it's again it's not going to work so yeah we're a lot more commercially minded you know tom tom has this thing he calls the logo test you know he'll look at somebody's work and he'll kind of you know cover over the Corner of the page and think. Well, what logo could sit there? Which brands do I see this working with? Mm. You know, where where would this live in the ecosystem of of our clients? On what platforms? You know, to what end? I think that's really important. I think they're really important questions for an agent to ask, and I think they're equally important questions for an artist to ask.
1: Totally. Mm.
2: when, When when you're creating something, when you're making something, and there's nothing wrong with making something purely to please yourself, but that's probably falling more into the world of art because you're creating something for yourself because you want to, and you're putting it out there and hopefully somebody will buy it.
1: Mm. Whereas
2: commercial illustration is more about, okay, I'm going to think about where I want to work, the kind of clients I want to work with, what those clients want, and I'm going to put that in the shop window and show that I can deliver that.
0: Mm. I think that that's a great insight on uh, thinking you know, also for illustrators, as you said, like thinking, you know, where can my, my which we, which brands can my work coexist, right? And this is also a great insight for you to look for those brands when when you're looking for clients as well, identify which clients can really uh, resonate with the kind of work you do. So John, as you know, this is a listener-driven show, so I'm looking forward to hear more of this insights uh, as we go down the questions we have, some questions coming from social media. And okay. I then, then I have some follow-up questions for you that I'm personally que- curious about. Um, our first question is from Owens on Instagram. And Owens is asking, how do you price a job? And John, I know this is a very big question, uh, but I think it is is a relevant one. I got a lot of questions related to this topic. So um, and I actually saw a similar question on the frequently asked questions on your website, on Hanson Frank's new website. Um, So I guess this is also a question you get answered a lot. And perhaps we can reframe it in the sense of like, how much does an illustration cost? And um, what are your general answers to this when a client calls and, you know... Sure. I mean, yeah.
2: the, the key thing really, often I get phone calls or emails saying, you know, can I have a price? Mm. Uh, and The one thing we refuse to do is just quote straight off the bat. Mm. Uh, you know, if somebody calls me, I'll, I would always say, you know, I'll get the information I need and then I'll go away and I'll send them a quote half mm. an hour or an hour later. So... There's no, there's no easy answer to this, but essentially there, there are many, many factors that go into pricing illustration. Um, and there's a lot to be considered when you're quoting. So I would start with, as a, on a very basic level, really drilling down and defining what the what the deliverables are. So what, mm-hmm. what is it you have to create? Um, how many illustrations are there?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How big are they? How long are they going to take you to create? You know, mm. just 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 your time. That that's kind of your your starting point. Um, so you think about that, and then secondly to that, a huge factor is where are they going to be used.
1: Mm. And
2: a big misconception, again, from from we work a lot more with clients direct now than we used to. Mm. Um, we're seeing that as a real trend. We're we're seeing a lot more clients come to us direct, you know, you know an internal marketing department as opposed to a design agency or, or an advertising agency. Mm. And as a result of that, people who haven't commissioned illustration before or aren't used to doing it aren't familiar with how it works. And the way yeah. it works for us and, and you know kind of the industry standard and the best practice is when somebody commissions a piece of illustration and they pay for it, they don't own it.
1: Hmm.
2: And that's a real big thing to discuss with clients and have that conversation. What, what Just because they commission did doesn't mean they own it what they own is a a license and we agree a license and that license would define many things but the key things it will define are which media can this work be used across
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, which territories can this be used in and for how long so media territory duration Mm. you know they're the kind of three key factors now occasionally a client will say well look i i you know we need we need we need all right so they might call it buyout they might say Mm. we need buyout well, even in that scenario, you know, buyout does not mean they own the intellectual property and the copyrights of mm-hmm. work. What that means is you're granting them an exclusive worldwide, all media license in perpetuity, but you still retain the intellectual property. And what you should try and retain is the right to put that work in your portfolio. Mm. Um, but you're taking into consideration all these things. So if somebody comes to us Here's the scenarios. If, so, if, if two clients are asking for the same project and mm-hmm. they the same brief, and they both want an illustration of the same thing from the same artist, yeah. but one of them is saying to us, we want to use it forever in perpetuity worldwide across all media. And client B is saying, we're going to use it on social media only for one year. The price is going to be different,
1: hmm. even,
2: though, even though essentially what they're getting the illustration is the same thing the price is going to be different so the license plays a huge role in in pricing the um, the illustration that's a, that's a huge factor secondary to that i would research who the, who the who the client is you know are you talking about your local coffee shop or are you are you working with a multinational corporation you know yeah. a brand with um multi-millions of pounds um, so do your research, find out who you're working with. Um, because essentially what it comes down to is the more eyes that are going to be on your work, the more people that are going to see it, the more you should charge for it. Mm. That's, that's, that's the key thing. It doesn't really matter how long it takes. Um, and for that reason, you know, some projects we work on cost, you know, tens of thousands of pounds. Mm. And they might just be a license for an existing piece of work. It might be a piece of work that already exists. It's just being licensed for a big use. Whereas another piece of work might be created completely bespoke, but because the usage is very small, very limited, you know, it's going to be used for three months, um, UK only in a very limited way, you know, let's say for example, 100 limited edition beer labels, you're going to charge a lot less for that. So that's that's the really big thing. Um, the second thing I would always say to somebody is, what are the other factors when pricing a job? Well, okay, think about yourself. Think about how much you want this job. Hmm. Think about how busy you are. Do, do you need this job? H- has it been a quiet few weeks? Uh, you know, are you really keen to land this one? Hmm. Or are you busy? You know, is, is it going to mean working overtime? Is it going to mean working weekends? Is it going to mean, you know, really putting in a- extra hours? And, you know, I would just, just like a, a, a builder or a, a plumber would factor that in. I think it's absolutely fine to factor that into your pricing. No. Um, there is there is no rule book, and this is one of the things that people find a bit surprising. But there is there is no rule book. There is no guide to how to price illustration. There's no like industry standard. But what that means is nobody can ever say that you've quoted wrong. If you price the job, and if you give a price that you're comfortable with, and you'd be happy mm. to do the job at, then it's it's really perception as to whether the client wants to pay it or not. Um, I mean, going back to my sales background, one of the things I did learn there, and I found useful, was we, they had this idea of, of this thing called spinning a web. Hmm. So spinning a web was um, what you do at the start of quoting, was you write down W, what you want, E was what you expect, and B is what you better get. <laughs> so, and I think that's really helpful to do that. You know, I'm not saying I do that on every quote anymore, but I think that's a really useful exercise to, to write down, okay, this is this is my kind of top top kind of quote. This is what I'd love to get for this job. This is where I think maybe I'd settle, and this is my bottom line.
1: Hmm.
2: And and if the client you know, and the other thing is expect to negotiate. But again, because there's no nobody can say you're right and wrong, nobody can say your price is wrong, but clients expect to negotiate. I would say ninety-five percent of the projects we work on, there is some negotiation on the quote. And if there's not any negotiation on the quote, you probably went a bit too low. So, um, expect to negotiate, you know, try and get comfortable with that, give yourself a structure, know where your W and your E and your B is, and and just be confident. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I say, nobody can say you've priced it wrong. Nobody can say what you've asked to pay for a job is wrong because that is what you would like for the job. And if somebody's not willing to pay it, they can.
0: And I, I was wondering, how do you deal with a client that sort of has the, the mindset of what we were discussing right in the beginning about like, okay, this is a hobby. This is not really, you know, they're actually enjoying what they're doing. So I'm not expecting to pay as much for it. Uh, so how do you, you know, how do you react or how do you talk to a client that approaches you with that kind of mindset?
2: With that, I mean, wait, that, wait,
0: that's, I, I'm not trying to judge in the sense of like you know. I think that there's many people out there that are not acquainted or not familiar with the illustration business. So, um, oftentimes a, a client that comes to me and they don't really understand what they're yeah. paying for or what the complexity of what they're commissioning. Um, how do you go about it?
2: I, I think you know what, a big part of what we do is is, is try and educate people. You know, mm. it's very it's very like. When you're in this illustration world and quite immersed in it, you kind of presume that everybody understands it. It's Mm. it's an incredibly niche part of of, of the world that we work in, you know. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, a a big part of, a big emphasis of of what we do at Hanson Frank um, and hopefully something our clients appreciate is, is we treat, whether somebody's commissioned art 100 times before or whether it's their first time, we try and you know treat them the same way and, and and talk them through the process and you know if they have questions no matter how um, naive they might sound or, or how you know um, you know no matter how basic their understanding is of how things work we'll, we'll, we'll talk them through it and and explain it um, I think that's really important you can't presume any knowledge on other people you know it's not it's it's not for them to know this these things it's for us to tell them um, Occasionally, I send a quote and, and I get a reply, you know, from somebody saying, "Wow, you know." I'm
0: just <laughs> are you myself. crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: are you crazy? That that happens, and and the reality is, I'm I'm glad that happens because, yeah. you, you know, I I know what we should be charging.
1: Mm.
2: You know, we we do approximately 600 jobs a year, mm. uh, so we've done we've we've done over six thousand jobs now ranging from the, the smallest projects <laughs> to, yeah. to, you know, really huge multinational um, global branding projects, for, for you know, FTSE 100 companies. So we see the full spectrum of pricing.
1: Hmm.
2: And, and what's what's really helpful for us as agents is because we're pricing every, you know, we, we probably price, uh, for every job that comes in, we probably send five, six quotes that don't come in. Hmm. So. You know, that's, the, and that, that's not because of the price, that's because of so many factors. You know, that's because sometimes artists are busy or unavailable or they don't want to do the job or, you know, there's so many factors as to why a project happens or doesn't. But what it allows us, what it gives us the access to is, is this huge amount of data where we can look at it and say, well, look, there's, there's 600 jobs here. You've asked me to quote on something that actually is very similar to a project we did three months ago or six months ago. And that, and I know what we charge for that, and that gives me confidence that I know what this job's worth. Um, so I think that's what why having an agent is helpful, and I think that's why it's harder as an individual because you, you have less opportunities to quote and you have less of a of a data collection sample to refer back to as an individual.
0: Yeah, and I think like listening to these numbers, you know, you just mentioned like we quote or we we do six hundred projects per year I think listening to this number is also I would say something to look forward to for someone that is listening and is you know has the we often hear in the podcast that there's the perception that the market is oversaturated and everyone is or new illustrators or newcomers are worried about like hey is there a place for me in this industry is there too many people out there too much competition and listening to the numbers that you're throwing of all the jobs that you as an agency uh, quote per year um, gives an understanding of how much work there is out there and how much demand as well.
2: And I think it's really grown. I think um, I was having this conversation yesterday. I I think what we've seen over the past four or five years is the number of brands that are utilizing illustration Mm. and putting it into their brand guidelines and having it as some element of touch point of what they do visually has increased hugely hmm. you know i would say 10 years ago when we started out it was there weren't that many brands that were illustration led you know there were some really bold you know the usual suspects that used illustration really well and, and everybody knew who they were hmm. but that's increased hugely so that's one thing i think what we're seeing is a massive increase in the breadth and types of, of clients that are, Considering illustration, I think the pandemic, in a funny, kind of strange way, has has been good for the illustration industry because what it meant is a lot of brands that previously relied on photography mm. and live action couldn't mm. you know, they couldn't do photo shoots, they couldn't they couldn't film. So we we found ourselves picking up briefs that were originally supposed to be live action, and we were making animations, or you know we were being sent briefs to illustrate that were supposed to be photo shoots um and what that meant is even now things are getting back to normal and people clients can do photo shoots they have thought about illustration they have considered it they've looked mm-hmm. at it you know, they've, yeah. they've realized that maybe there's a place for it within their brand identity um so that's really heartening yeah i mean all i can say is um yes there's a lot of illustrators out there there's a lot of agents out there it seems to be growing by the year but I don't see any slowdown in the appetite for illustration. I don't see, you know, I, 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 I think there's more clients using it every year. An interesting pattern for us is something that we've um, very, it's been very premeditated is that we actually, our model is actually to do less projects every year, mm. but for higher value. Mm. And that's something we've really worked on. So I think, you know, maybe in the first five years that we, was, we were going, We did an awful lot of editorial work and I love it. I love editorial, I love magazines, I love the tactile nature of print, seeing something on the page. But the reality is, that work doesn't always pay as well as branding, advertising, um, packaging, illustration. So, what we've tried to do over the years is move slightly away from the editorial and publishing market and more into the advertising and branding world. uh, and I'll give you a good example. There's there's an artist on our books, um, and about five years ago, he actually did a hundred commissions in one year, mm. which, which is <laughs> insane. Um, so he, yeah, I mean, literally two a week, plus a couple, um, which is, you know, a, a huge, huge achievement, but also unsustainable. Mm. Really, you, you cannot work at that at that pace at long term. And at the end of that year, well, firstly, we sent him a crate of beer to say, well done. <laughs> <laughs> and then we sat down with him and we said, look, what are we, what are we going to do? Because you can't keep working at that pace.
1: Hmm.
2: And by working with an artist and tweaking his portfolio and him putting in a lot of hard work and slightly changing the things he was doing, we've managed to move him from being very much an editorial artist hmm. into the world of. Brand and advertising. Um, so you know, I don't know the numbers, but he might do twenty jobs or twenty-five jobs now in a year. But those jobs will pay more hmm. than the hundred jobs, yes. and you know, have more time and have a better work-life balance. And everyone's the richer for it, really. So that's that's very much our model. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, not, not that I would ever. I still do. I still love editorial. You know, I still. You know, so I, I would say the New York Times kids covers that we did, I've done recently with Tim McDonough, one of my favorite projects ever. Um, I think, you know, doing, see Malika Favre's New Yorker covers, incredible. You know, yeah. you, you, can't, um, you can't really beat that. But as an agency, we are slightly shifting.
0: Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense for a business um, as it develops um, it makes a lot of sense to focus on the clients and projects that really, you know, make a difference or have an impact in the growth of your business. And as it happens to the business of an agency, it can, as you said, happen to the career of an illustrator, Where, whereas in the beginning, you might be taking a lot of jobs and different jobs because you're growing your portfolio and you're developing your style. Um, as you, you know, as you become more known and have more reputation and clients recognize the kind of work you can do, um, you can start focusing on the jobs that really allow you to have kind of like, like the lifestyle you want to have as well, right? Because...
2: Yeah, I mean, it- it's, it's a journey. And I think the thing is with an editorial, which I would I would recommend everyone does mm. some editorial weeks because they do give... What, what they give is they have a finite deadline. Mm. You know, there is a physical print deadline that isn't budging. Mm. And what comes with that... Is freedom. (laughs) Yeah. Because there is not time for endless rounds of changes Mm. at brand focus groups and showing it to the CEO to get his feedback. There is there just physically isn't time. There's an art director, there's an illustrator, and there's a deadline. And what that allows is creative freedom. So, you know, a lot of the work that we have done originally editorially has then been the shop window to land the, the bigger brand jobs um so it's really important you know the whole thing is a, is a process and i'm not you know th- there probably are artists out there that are perfectly happy doing editorial until they retire i'm not saying this is the path that everyone should take but it's something that we've noticed is that you quite often you sign a younger artist they don't have the, the, the most rich portfolio that they could have they then do lots of editorial work with lots of creative freedom. They build up a great body of work, and then they start to gravitate across to these these, these bigger projects. You know, I, I, th- I think it's really important for an artist to keep a, keep a toe in in every market. And I think yeah. it's uh, you know equally if you completely stop doing publishing and editorial and just did advertising, I think you'd go a bit crazy because mm. there isn't much creative freedom and mm. there are endless rounds of feedback, and it is incredibly um uh what's the word? Um the art direction is very specific. Um yeah. so that probably wouldn't bring you much happiness if that's all you did. I think getting the mix is key, you know, a little bit of everything. One one for the money, one for the for the love, one for maybe a cause you care about. You know, getting that variety is is kind of the key to having a long, happy career.
0: That's great. One for the money, one for the freedom, one for <laughs> Amazing. I want to move on to our second question that is coming from Josie on Instagram as well. What what would be your advice for a new artist in a competitive world? And I think this is a great question. And I know that it can help many of our listeners shape a distinct identity as creatives. Um, So what do you think are the things that make an illustrator or an artist stand out? And Perhaps you can also answer in terms of not only perhaps the technical aspects of their work, but also you know their personal attitude towards work or um, their personality.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's huge. You you hit a positive there. I mean, I mean, yeah. Look, style is hugely important. You need you need a style that that stands out, that is original and, and unique and ownable. Um, I think if you look at all the most successful artists, you look at their work and you know it's their work um you know that's that's kind of the x factor that that people that really succeed have but that's very hard to get to um secondly obviously you need to make sure it's commercially applicable we've talked about that where where where's it going to live you know who's going to commission it who's it for Where, where where what's the natural home for it um but yeah one of the things me and tom you know really believe and push is that you i mean you can have the most wonderful portfolio of you know beautiful imagery but we need to dig a bit deeper really we need to know how that work was created was it created under any pressure did you have six months to create that image mm-hmm. and create a freedom you could dream for but but can you do that under pressure can you do that you know in a week when the pressure's on um again like your work will take you so far but you're your attitude and the way that you work with clients and the way that you take feedback and respond to feedback, mm. the way that you're able, to, you know, I think a massively underrated skill for an illustrator is communication and how they communicate their ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, one of the things that we've noticed is the role of the, the art buyer or the specialist um, art buyer within a, a, an ad agency is, it seems to be going away a little bit. And what we're seeing is an increase of working with marketing people, marketing directors, marketing managers, client mm-hmm. direct. And the, the big difference there is that they are less um, experienced at communicating what they want visually. Mm-hmm. So that, that skill gap is falling to the artist.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, the
2: artist has to be able to communicate what they're going to do. Essentially, the person commissioning the work needs to feel confident and secure that they're going to get what they want and the artist needs to be able to communicate to them what they're going to do so there's no surprises. So communication is really important. Um, presentation of your work, you know, how you send your work across, how you um, put it together. You know, do you just sit, do a quick pencil sketch, take an iPhone photo and email it across? Um, or do you put together a PDF? Mm-hmm. With your, your brand and, you know, what volume of the... Um, project this is and you know your ideas and are you dropping in work there that shows them it actually shows them what the leap will be from the draft to the main you know all you know martina you're you're great at this you know the way you present your work the way you think about your brand the way you every touch point of what you do feels like it comes from you Mm. and i think that's really important and again i think all the most successful artists do that so that level of professionalism and again if we're going to get away from this idea this wrong idea that illustration is a hobby or something that people are doing fun then act like it's a business and Mm. present it like it's a business and be professional um hit your deadlines be on time for your conference calls present your work well label your files correctly um you know they're 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 the. They're the kind of little details that people think are less important. If the work's great, well, actually, they're just as important as the work being great. You know, they're really, really key. And if you're going to have a long career and you're going to have clients that are going to kind of come back to you time and again, keep using you, they're the things the client is going to appreciate.
0: Yeah, and I and I see a couple of really interesting things in what you just said. One of them is communication. I feel that oftentimes artists don't or focus a lot on developing their skills and like their style and they focus less on this communication skills so I, I, I normally say that we hide behind our work whereas yeah. you know nowadays more than ever it's important to be able to speak about your work and to develop those those people skills because you will be dealing with people um throughout your career throughout your business um so you, you actually need to develop these communication skills.
1: Yeah, I don't want-
2: then, you, you need to defend your ideas as well. Yes. You need to know when to stand up for your work and mm. when, when to push back and, and, and when to concede. You know, I think I always say, you know, to clients, you've hired an expert, so mm. trust them, you know, listen to yeah. them. Yeah. But equally, and I think the illustrators have to appreciate that they're being paid to provide a service. Mm. So... There's got to be a, a meeting in the middle. It, it's about collaboration, um, and that's really, really important.
0: Yeah, and I think also something important about what you just said is this: this idea of treating treating this as a business, right? To have a process, to have um, you know standards, to have a way to present your work, uh, because I think that artists or we always had, or many of us had, the idea that our work has to be, you know, surprising and always different and that we are chaotic and that we don't have, you know, we just create, we just sit down and create and we don't have any specific um, boundaries. Whereas I think that this kind of structures, you know, allowing the, you know, being a creative that has a an established procedure and that the clients know what they can expect from you that a client that hires you today um you know receives a certain service and when they hire you again you know receive the same kind of service right so consistency right um so i think these are really important uh, things to consider and i think this is these are really uh, great insights for josie that i was wondering how you know what are, what would be the new, the best advice for someone that is new to the industry? And I wanted to ask you, go back to the work you do with agents for change. And I want to ask you a little bit about what, you know, what the purpose of this organization is and what were the things that you were noticing that made you, um, you know, that made you feel that you needed to take action?
2: Well, I mean, firstly, I, I can't, take that much credit for everything. Um, we are founding members and I'm very actively involved, but this is a much bigger, you know, this isn't Hanson Frank, there's um, there's some people behind this who are putting in a lot of effort and energy and time. Um, so, but it is a really, it is a real coming together. And I think it's, um, I mean, obviously the, the Black Lives Matter movement um, was kind of a catalyst. Um, and I think every industry was suddenly asking questions of themselves about diversity and um and you know and, and who they were working with um the question was all also being posed by clients all of a sudden so clients have never really been that interested in who creates the work who's behind mm-hmm. it you know they've, they've been content to commission an illustrator based on their style alone really and, and never really cared for who who's behind the work. Um, But that's, that's changing. And I think that um, that movement is something that we wanted to recognize and um, try and foster within our, like I say, our kind of niche little community. So um, Agents for Change is, uh, I think we have about 20 members now, um, all currently UK based illustration agencies. And we are coming together, on a bi-monthly basis to basically, to, I mean, we've, ju- we've just officially founded um, a community interest company, so <laughs> we're now kind of official. Um, and our remit is to increase diversity within the illustration world. Um, and that is, you know, that's not just ethnicity, we're, we're obviously looking at, um, you know, sexuality, <laughs> disability, learning difficulties, Um, ageism and and just kind of holding ourselves accountable for how diverse we are as as agents and and looking at who we represent but also trying to promote best practice in the industry Hmm. so encourage clients to ask the right questions and to hire artists for the right reasons Um, and then we're very conscious of the fact that you know currently, the people we represent is is kind of a mirror of who's out there.
1: Mm.
2: And if if there aren't enough people out there from minority areas of of communities, then why is that? And a big part of that, we think, is that people aren't getting opportunities. So we're also looking at how we can help the education system, how we can encourage people, whether it's people of colour or people with disabilities to consider illustration as a career. Um, so we're doing kind of lots of uh, portfolio workshops. We're also talking to um, successful illustrators and doing kind of Q and A's with them and, and talking about their career path and the challenges mm. they faced and how they got to be doing what they're doing. Um, so yeah, it, it, I mean, it's we're under no illusions. Mm. Um, it's We're not gonna change things overnight, but I think it's Great. I've I've never known our industry come together like this for a common cause with so much enthusiasm and um yeah, just a sense that of trying trying to help. Um and I think over time we can make a difference, you know. Um it's it's a small industry, um but between us we represent a lot of artists and if, if, if we're taking Action and holding each other accountable, and we're also going out there promoting our industry and talking to the next generation of potential illustrators and and making them aware that this is a potential way to earn a living. If that's something they're interested in, mm. then things will change.
1: And
0: just to wrap up this question, what do you think we will see happening more in the industry of illustration? Um, in which direction do you see the industry developing?
2: um well uh we're seeing a lot more motion um Mm -hmm. and i think that is a direct i mean one of the big things of the pandemic was you know less out of home advertising less billboards less bus shelters and everything else more bespoke social content obviously the natural reason for that is we're all locked in our houses staring at our phones all day but um that even though things are opening up that hasn't really gone away um so motion is is really Key, I think, and I would say to any illustrator, um, even if you don't know how to animate or you don't want to animate, just be aware of how your work could animate hmm. and maybe try and collaborate with and work with an animator to put that in the shop window. Because all, all animation, sorry, all illustration can be animated. Hmm. But it's that classic thing that a client won't realise that until they see it. So try and get some motion into your portfolio um show that that's kind of in your locker even if it's not you doing the animation it's it's a third party just show that it's it's possible um and then yeah i mean i'm really excited to see where um you know where kind of the metaverse takes us and um you know oculus rift and um painting in 3d you know virtual stuff you know where are we going to be in 10 years I don't know, you know, it's a really interesting time, you know, obviously we've got this NFT movement, which is, um, you know, very contentious uh, for for, for environmental reasons, but it's interesting to see stylistically where that's going. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think everything's going to flip on its head again and we'll probably be back here in 10 years time talking about different social media platforms and different ways of working and, and, you know, I think. We, we will always be led by our clients really and what they're asking for. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, as soon as our clients start asking for something, we evolve and we mm-hmm. find out about that and we educate ourselves and we start to offer it. That's, that's the way it's always worked.
0: That's great, John. We're moving on to our last section of the podcast, um, which is our story time section. Uh, we all love stories, and in this section, I we want. <laughs> we want to go beyond the perfectly curated lives that we normally share on social media. So we want to really hear like real, real stories. And we want to hear about the biggest challenge or failure as an agent or as a person and how that impacted your work and career or the work of those that are around you. Is there any story you would like to share with us?
2: Um, I, I would say... Um, so I would say... There's an expression that you don't learn anything from success, mm. and I think that's really true. And I think we've been luck- very lucky with Hanson Frank because, by and large, it's been successful. Mm. Um, but about four years ago, I started another business,
1: mm.
2: and uh, completely unrelated. And it, I was um, I was brewing brewing beer. I started a craft brewery.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because I like beer and I was interested in brewing and um, I was really interested in kind of the branding side and how to market it. Um, And ultimately that business didn't succeed and we closed it. We had a lot of fun.
1: Mm.
2: We made a lot of beer, we drank a lot of beer, we sold some beer. Um, But ultimately that business failed and that experience taught me so much more than the successes I've had with and Frank. Mm. In fact, it made me reevaluate everything about what I do and realize for the first time why it works. Because if something goes well, you don't really think about why it's gone well. You just presume, you know, it's all down to you. Um, But, you know, for the first time in my life, working with tangible products, working with physical ingredients, working with um, other suppliers and supply chains that were less reliable, having to store things physically. Mm. You know, these are all factors and issues that, that in in our business we don't have to deal with. Mm. Um, so that was a huge eye opener for me. And and the the other thing I took from that is um, I think I learned a lot about criticism and, and feedback and actually how personally you take it. Because um, I don't know how much you know about the beer world, but um, the, the craft beer world is is it's was a huge market, but there's there's all these apps where people who are really into their beer will seek out every weird and different beer they can find and then they'll, they'll review it. So it's kind of um, it's like an app where you would, you know, ratemybeer.com or whatever, untapped. And, uh, you know, you'd work really, really hard on something. You'd create a beer, you'd slave over it, you'd make no money, you'd work long hours, you'd put it out there in the world. And then suddenly you'd read these reviews. And some of them were good. Some of them were horrific. (laughs) (laughs) ever, I I felt really exposed and really could empathise with an artist Mm. who gets feedback, critical feedback from a client. And I realised how personally you take that. If you, Mm. you really work on something and you really try and you really put something of yourself into it and you create something and you put it out there and people don't like it, that's really hard to take. Um, and yeah, I think that that experience of, of receiving criticism and reading bad reviews, and also um, of learning why my business works in, in ways I've never considered, that failure—I call it failure. I mean, it was good fun, and it—you know—we didn't ultimately lose any money, but we didn't make any money. <laughs> um, but that taught me a lot more than than anything um, I could. Probably tell you about handsome frank right now
0: and it probably also confirmed that you know you are doing great with with your other business with handsome frank like hey th- this is why it works this works.
2: Yeah and, yeah and also you know i think my natural as a, as a person my natural inclination is always what's next what's new Where, mm. and actually for the first time i was like whoa just you've got a good thing going just mm. concentrate on that and um you know there were there Many directions we could go with Hanson Frank, um, but we resist that. We'd like to keep our offering kind of simple in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, just concentrate on being the best illustration agents we can be. We don't want to become a production house. you know. We don't want to um, suddenly start selling merchandise and having a shop and mm-hmm. having all these extensions. You know, We just want to be the best at what we do and keep that offering quite simple. Um, so again, I think that was a, an eye opener.
0: Yeah. And I can totally relate to that as an illustrator myself. Like I feel that I also in the earlier years of my career, I was, you know, also going for the next thing. It's like, well, I want to open my shop and I want to do this book and I want to do that and that and that. And towards the last years of my career, I'm more like streamlining things, right? And I'm more focusing on the things that really matter to me or where I find more joy or where I find more that I do it easy (laughs) that it it feels more easy right and it doesn't
2: yeah yeah. i've I've stripped a lot of stuff like that out really and i think you know just just having that focus and doing one thing well is enough yeah you know you you don't have to be as exciting as it is you don't have to be constantly opening up new startups and moving on to the next exciting shiny thing because you may be better off just sticking to what what you're good at
0: yeah, that's a good. So, uh, John, this is the end of our jo- uh, show and it was so great to have you and have you sharing right. all these stories and these wise words. Um uh, <laughs> So, um I will add all of your links to our show notes. Where can people find you and what are the projects they should go um Let's check out?
2: Yeah, I mean the big the, the big thing for us. We've just launched a new website, um, which is handsomefrank.com. dot com, um, and that is a big step up for us. I think in terms of the way it houses all of our content. So if you don't know us, um, you can go on there and just look at our artists and use it as a as a kind of resource tool to find illustrators. But there's a lot more content on there. There's um, there's a whole series of short films that we commission. Um, artist films. There's a there's a podcast series. We just released our eighth episode of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you'll find kind of project case studies, but also thought pieces about the industry. There's a um, there's a, an article on there about um, Instagram and 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 the algorithm and how um, that affects illustrators. There's an article on there about illustration and and why it's not a hobby. Something we've touched on today so yeah check us out the website um if you like what we do then uh, we're on instagram we're on twitter um and yeah we're hoping to do more events uh, at the moment i seem to be talking a lot online it'd be lovely to do something physically in person again soon um but yeah follow us on social media and you'll kind of see what, what we're up to
0: amazing so i will add all of this to the show notes um so this is it for everyone listening, you can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Floor, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comment, go to martinafloor.com slash podcast, where you can see previous episodes, find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinafloracom slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all of our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much. Uh, John for being there today and for the great conversation if you love this episode subscribe to this podcast and if you leave us a review it will help others find us thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Letter Now bye bye